Welcome to the Home Birth After Cesarean podcast. Due to the rate of unnecessary C-sections, the lack of support, and limited options for VBAC moms in the hospital, more and more women are choosing to have their VBAC babies at home. This podcast was created for women to share and listen to stories of home birth after cesarean. I'm your host, Rachel Garrett. Today we're talking with Alicia and she's going to share her two birth stories with us. So do you just want to start us off with an introduction? Sure. Uh, So my name is Alicia, like you just said. Uh, I am located in Connecticut, right in the center in a town called Middletown. And I was born and raised here. I went to school down in Florida, then lived in Europe for five years. Um, And that I feel like that was something that kind of changed my views on birth and just parenting in general, like the way that I watched people parent there and how they approached um, pregnancy and labor and delivery really made a difference to me. Um, So I moved back to the States probably 14 years ago now and started my own wedding photography business. And that's what I still do full time. And I also have a side hustle uh, doing Young Living Essential Oils, which also plays a big role into my birth story. But yeah, that's me. Very cool. So you can just start us off and take us to wherever it is that you want to start with your pregnancies and births. So I think to gain some foundational understanding on home birth for me and just how we ended up where we ended up. Um, I kind of have to go pretty far back. And so I was actually homeschooled for the majority of my childhood. Um, My parents pulled me out. I'm the oldest. Well, I was the oldest of three back then. I'm now the oldest of 11. Uh, There's a bit of a story there, but my parents have adopted eight times through the foster care system. I have very young. Yeah. I have very young siblings, but back, we, we call them the first letter, the second letter, the third letter. The first letter was just the three of us biological kids. And, um, I'm the oldest of the three of them. So my mom pulled us out of school when I was in third grade and I was homeschooled from third, all the way through 12th grade. And as a part of our, I guess you could say curriculum or our learning, um, she would have us sometimes watch like birth videos. Like it was just normal. And she also, before it was a thing, I always say my mom was a doula before people really knew what doulas were. She had friends that, that, would just ask her to be there for their deliveries, whether it was, um, she had some teenage moms that, you know, lived with us at times. And my my parents always had a big heart for just people who needed help. And so she would be there for these teenage moms. Then she had other friends that were like, you know what, I want to, I want to have my baby at home. I would love for you to be there. And so my mom was just obsessed with birth and birth was always normal. So I was never raised to believe that birth was something to be feared. And I think that that's, that's a real marker in my childhood because I feel like so many of my peers, they just fear birth and they, they're just so afraid of the pain and they're so afraid of, you know, all the things. And so for me, birth was just a normal physiological process. It was nothing to be afraid of, but my mom, um, whenever she would come home from the home births in particular, she would just have, uh, there was just something different about that. And the way that she talked about them, she would talk about how relaxed the atmosphere was and how intimate and personal. And, you know, she would talk about how the older siblings were there to like watch the baby come out and it was just peaceful. And she would just like rave about home births. And so for me, even as a young girl and then eventually a teenager, home birth was just always 
another option. Like it was just a normal option for me. It was, it was never anything that was like crazy or weird or hippie. It was just normal. So I, I kind of always had this idea that that's how I would give birth. I've always hated hospitals. Um, my, my biggest memories of hospitals were when I was about 10 years old, my grandfather passed away. And I just remember, you know, we would go up twice a week to visit him in the hospital and it just, it looked like death. It smelled like death. It was filled with sick people. And I just, I hated going there, but you know, we had to the last couple of years of his life to see him. And that's just for the rest of my childhood, that's kind of what hospitals reminded me of. And so fast forward quite a few years later uh, to when I was almost 35, I was I was actually going to be 35 when I had my son, which made me a geriatric pregnant woman. I'm sure you've heard that term before. I hate that um, term. <laughs> geriatric pregnancy. Yeah. I'm like, I feel better at 35 than I did at 25, but okay. I guess I'm geriatric. Um, so fast forward, my husband and I got married a little bit later in life and he is someone who is very like by the books, just follows standard protocol, doesn't really question anything, just kind of like goes with the flow. Uh, that is not who I am. I am very much a rebel in a lot of ways. I think for myself and I challenge the norms often. Um, and so whenever we started talking about having a family, I was like, just so you know, I, I would really like to give birth at home. And he was like, what? Like, who does that? And he just thought that I had like officially gone off my rocker. He was like, you're like, you're really crazy that you want to do this at home. But that's just, it just felt like my safest place. So my entire pregnancy with my son uh, was uncomplicated, minus the fact that I had hyperemesis, which was a real treat. Not at all. Um, I vomited every day for 35 weeks. And uh, oh God. yeah, that, that was not fun. Um, but besides that, it was completely uncomplicated. I had mostly a hands-off pregnancy. We worked with a local midwifery practice. And it, it, so long story short, eventually he came around obviously to having a home birth. So right when we found out that we were pregnant, we went to an orientation and I was like, I want you to come with all of your questions, like any questions that you have, you need to ask the midwives and I can almost guarantee that they'll be able to answer them. And so he didn't actually have that many questions. He kind of was like, well, if this is what you want to do, then I guess I'm fine with it. Like I could tell that he was hesitant. He also, he's not a, a medical guy at all. Like he hates blood and he hates fluids and he like gets nauseous at the thought of them. So me vomiting for that long, like that was a real treat for both of us, um, <laughs> me being so sick. So regarding the birth, he had kind of said the whole pregnancy, like, I just like, I want to make sure our expectations are the same because I don't know if I'll be able to be there. Like when you are actually like pushing and, you know, I had to think through that because that's a lot of, like, there's a lot of emotions, you know, tied to that. And I, I finally got to the point where I was like, I'm actually, I'm fine with that. Like whatever, whatever you need to do for you, like whatever. I think I'll be in the zone anyway that I don't know if I'll really care who's there or who's not there. Um, but I do think that you should be there. And I think that you will regret not being there. And so, and then I was like, but if you're not going to be there, then I'm not sure you have much say in where I get to deliver. And he was like, touche. Okay. I guess you can do it at home. Um, and so that was kind of the agreement that we came to. And my whole pregnancy was completely uncomplicated. Like I said, minus the hyperemesis. We didn't know if he was a boy or a girl. So I'll say he, but you know, it was just the baby back then, but he was growing on track. I, you know, I was as active as I could be with throwing up all the time, but very uncomplicated pregnancy. Right up until the end where um, 
two days before I was due, I went for a checkup and my midwife asked if she could do an internal exam. And I kind of up to that point, I was like, I don't know if I really want internals because I don't want to do the the game at the end that I know a lot of women do of like, oh, I'm dilated a centimeter. That means I could go any day, but then you stay dilated a centimeter for four weeks. Um, And so I didn't really want to play that game, but I was in a good mental spot. So I was like, go ahead. Like, I'm fine with you checking me. That's, and she asked if she could, I was like, yeah, I'm fine. Like, I'm not, I don't have any like high hopes or expectations of like, you know, if I'm, if I'm a certain amount along, I'm going to feel depressed that I'm not closer. Um, And if I'm not far along enough, I'm not going to feel like whatever. Like basically I have no, no emotions attached to this exam is what I'm getting at. Um, So she checked me and she was like, yeah, like your cervix is nice and soft and I can like feel that the baby is fully engaged. um, So you're good to go. And this was like two days before I was due. Actually, I think it was the day before. And she's like, you're good to go. Like whenever, whenever you're ready, whenever this baby is ready, like thumbs up. And so my best friend was coming into town that night and I had been praying that the baby would wait until she got here. And I, I joke that she's my lucky charm because for both of my kids, she arrived and I went into labor within the next 12 hours. So that was that. And then the morning, the morning that I was due, I forget why I had to go. I had to go back to the midwife for some reason. I, and I wish I should actually call her and be like, do you remember why you had to see me two days in a row? Cause that really changed things in those 24 hours. Um, and she, she was just feeling around my belly again. And, um, she was like, do you mind if I actually do another internal? She's like, I, it feels like the baby changed position. And I was like, I, f- I would have felt that. Cause I feel every kick and every, you know, elbow stretching. And she's like, yeah, I just, she's like, I just want to confirm because you know, the position definitely feels different than when I just checked you yesterday. And so I was like, yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, I didn't really want to do that many internals, but I'm fine. Like, I feel good. I felt best the last four weeks of my pregnancy than the rest of it. Cause that's finally when I stopped vomiting. So I'm like, it's, it's fine. And I, I guess I wouldn't mind knowing like if I'm softer or if I'm dilated at all. And so she checked and she's like, well, you, you are softer and you dilated to like a two, but she's like, I don't feel the head bones like I did yesterday. Um, so I'm actually going to send you for an ultrasound um, because I would just like to confirm the position of the baby. And I was like, yeah, that's no problem. I had no questions in my mind that baby was still in position because I thought it would have felt every move. Like I'm like, there's no way that he would have turned upside down and me not feel it. And I had only had one ultrasound my entire pregnancy at 20 weeks. So this was only my second ultrasound. So when I say it was a hands-off pregnancy, I just wanted things to be as normal as possible. Um, with our personal convictions, we knew that there was almost no circumstance that would lead us to have an abortion or terminate the pregnancy, regardless of what we found out. So we just wanted to do that 20 week scan to see if there were any developmental issues or anything, but we, we knew that that wouldn't change our minds. And so we, we just chose to not do ultrasounds all the time. Um, so all that to say, uh, I go to the doctor up the street from me and I went by myself because once again, I had no doubt in my mind that things were fine. I would have felt the baby flip if, if he flipped and I got in there and the, the tech was doing the ultrasound. She goes, so your baby's breech. And I like my whole world just stopped because I knew what that meant. And I knew that you can't deliver a breech baby at home in Connecticut And I knew that that probably meant I would have to have a cesarean. And while I knew as a, with my background and being a a certified doula, I knew that a cesarean is obviously always an option. 
or possibility. Um, I guess I kind of felt or thought that I would know leading up to it. Like you would know if your baby's breech starting at 30 weeks and you know, you know that your baby's head is not getting down, not getting to position. So you kind of can like prep yourself emotionally and mentally, or like if you're in labor and you're laboring for 26 hours or 36 hours and things are dragging out and you know, you either you transfer to the hospital or you're already in the hospital and you can just kind of like see the writing on the wall that things could get there. You know, um, I just, I didn't consider that it could all just turn upside down on its head that quickly. So I left the hospital. I was crying my eyes out. I, I didn't even call my husband because I was like, I don't even know what to say. Like I can't, I, like I couldn't even talk. And so I texted he and my mom and my best friend and my midwife um, all at the same time. And I just said, baby's breached, period. And I think that they like all knew what that meant. And I, I don't know, I could just imagine that they all collectively like let out a huge, like, oh God, like we all know how high of hope she had for having a home birth. We also only ever planned on having one child. So for me, this was like my one shot to have the birth that I had always envisioned. And uh, my midwife called me right away and I was crying. She's like, I want you to calm down. She's like, three of my four babies were breached and we were able to flip them. And because the baby flipped in the last 24 hours, I'm pretty positive that we can get him flipped back. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna call the hospital that I work with and you're gonna go down there tonight. So this was like 2.30 in the afternoon. She's like, I want you to get down there as soon as possible you'll have a meeting with the obstetrician and they'll walk you through the process of an external cephalic version. And I want you to schedule it for first thing tomorrow morning. And she was just like, she was calming. And she was like, you know, you've done great. Like you have no reason to believe that this can't happen. Like it's, you're going to be okay. And so I was like, okay. So I went home and, um, my husband, my best friend, and I all went to the hospital and, uh, that was right around dinner time, and the obstetrician came in and she walked us through the whole thing. I was I was pretty familiar with what an ECV was at that point anyway, but I had you know I, I spent the next three hours like watching them on YouTube. I probably watched like thirty external cephalic versions on YouTube. Um, my husband had no idea what they were, so that was brand new to him. And so she walked us through the process and was like, "So do you want to do it now, or do you?" you want to schedule it for the morning. And I just had it in my head that my midwife said tomorrow morning. So let's just schedule it for the morning. We didn't bring, um, we didn't bring a bag with us, like a hospital bag or anything. Uh, so I didn't have, I wasn't prepped because I know that during an ECD, it's possible for your uterus to rupture or for something to happen where they need to do an emergency cesarean. And we just, we hadn't prepped to stay in the hospital. So I was like, let's just schedule it for the morning. And, uh, we'll come back and we'll do it at 7am. And she was like, great, that sounds awesome. So this was probably 7.30pm at this point that we were like, okay, we'll come back in less than 12 hours and we'll do the version. She said, just go home and I want you to just relax. Like, don't do anything. Don't, you know, don't go doing curb. What do they call them? Curb walks. Don't walk up and down the stairs a ton. Like, don't, don't, eat any pineapple or eat spicy Thai, like don't do any of that stuff, just like chill. And I should have known what happens when you just chill because at one o'clock in the morning, I woke up with my first contraction and I knew from that first one that I was in labor. 
And so um, right from that first contraction, they were one minute in length, four minutes apart, and they never went down from that. So I got up in the middle of the night and I went and I'm like, let me hop in the shower. Maybe I'll, you know, maybe it's just false labor. Like maybe I can slow it down and it did not slow down at all. So I called my midwife and uh, I explained what happened. She's like, all right, well, I want you to go to the hospital. And she's like, maybe they can still flip the baby in between contractions if you get like a break in contractions. Um, and she's like, you know, I know this is not, I know this is not ending up or this is not really what you had hoped for. She's like, but like, you're going to do great no matter what happens. She was, she was wonderful. I mean, she's still my midwife to this day. She still does my like annual exams and stuff. Um, and so I went and I woke my husband up and I was like, Hey, uh, I'm in labor. Uh, so, and I couldn't even finish the sentence before he like flew out of bed acting like an absolute madman, like flying around the house. We need to go. Actually, no, that happened before I got in the shower. I was like, Hey, I'm in labor. Um, we need to head to the hospital, but I'm going to shower. And he's like, you don't have time to shower. We need to get to the hospital. What if you have the baby on the floor? Like he was just like freaking out. And I'm like, dear Jesus, like, is this what you're going to be like when I'm actually like in real active labor? Um, and I was like, I called my midwife. I have time to shower. I'm going to shower. Just like feed the dog, tell Tiffany we're headed out, like start the car. I don't know. It was November. So it was kind of cold. Take so, a deep breath. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, breathe in, breathe out, blow out the candle. Like, I don't know. And so, um, he, he literally, I took like a 12 minute shower. It wasn't even that long. And he came in like three times. Are you done yet? Are you done yet? And I'm like, Oh my God, leave me alone. I just, the baby is not going to fall out of me. And if, if he does, then I'm sure it's going to be fine. Breach or not breach. Um, and so we got in the car and I just remember it was like, I don't know, it was like three o'clock in the morning and he's driving like freaking Mario Andretti to the hospital in the middle of the night. There's no traffic. And he's like taking these turns on two wheels and I'm, I'm in labor. Like I, my contractions were strong right from that first one. So I'm like in, I'm in labor and he's like doing these two wheel turns. I swear I could have killed him. Like I was like, slow down. <laughs> um, so we get to the hospital and um, the doctor comes in to get me all hooked up to, you know, the thousand and two machines, which is partly why I didn't want to be in the hospital in the first place all the things, all the, you know, the IV and the, this and the, that, and the monitoring belt. And I'm like, oh my God, just leave me alone. Like, this is why I don't want to be here. Um, and so we get in and she checks me and she's like, I think I was at four centimeters at that point, four or five centimeters. And she's like, you know, your contractions are registering really strong and um, we haven't seen more than a four minute break. So she's like, here's the thing we can try the Cephalac version but there is an increased risk that um, your uterus will rupture or something will happen. And if that happens, we need to rush you to the OR. You'll be put under general anesthesia and we'll do the cesarean and you'll wake up and somebody else will be holding your baby, your husband or your mom or your best friend, like somebody else will be holding your baby when you eventually come out. And she's like, or we can just say that we know how this is going and we can just do the cesarean and it'll be gentle and you'll be wide awake and you'll get to be there, you know, for as, like, as much as you want to be. And, uh, I think I knew, I knew from that first contraction 
that that's what it was going to end up. It wasn't like a, you know, negative thinking or anything. Like I just knew deep down that I was probably going to end up in a cesarean. I also very ironically, I had never studied breech birth up until that point. Like I had, I had read almost every book on the topic in general, but breech delivery was just, it was just something that I had never considered. And I guess once again, I, I thought that I'd like have time to like prep for it if if the baby was breached like I would know ahead of time so yeah I guess you could say that I was I was unprepared like the only the only possible situation that I hadn't considered is the one that happened so um all that to say I I opted for you know doing a cesarean like actually doing it with my consent and being fully present and my one request was I was like I want to labor as long as you let me labor because I was looking forward to this I was prepped for it um, this might very well be my only shot to do this. So I want to have as much of the experience as possible. Um, so how long will you let me labor? And she was like, we'll let you go until transition. And so, uh, that's what they did. And I labored until transition, um, with no medication. I, cause I wanted to feel everything and experience it all. And when I was about, I mean, I guess they never checked me because, the, the last time they had checked me, I was seven centimeters, but they never checked me before I went down to the OR. And I'm really curious. There's a few things that I kind of wish I had done differently or wondered like, what if one of them was if I had scheduled the like, if I had had them do the cephalic version the night before, like, what if, like, what if I would have been able to have a home birth if I just had her do it when she asked me the night before, but you know, it's easy to go down that road and I don't like getting stuck down that road. So it's just like, it is what it is. But one of them is that I kind of wish that they had checked me before they brought me back for the cesarean, just because I want to know how far along I actually was in terms of dilation. But, um, well, when I say they brought me back, I walked back and it took me, it probably took me 15 minutes to get to the OR, which was just like four rooms down. So that's like, I was really in labor, like having to stop and lean against the wall and, rock back and forth. And I just remember like squatting down and like kind of bearing down a little bit. Um, but it took me a solid 15 minutes to get to the OR. I went in there with my husband and, you know, sat on the table, they did a spinal tap and I, I asked them to watch the entire thing. And they were like, they're probably thinking this girl's legit crazy, but, um, they wouldn't let me watch when they were cutting into me, but they did drop the screen for when they pulled him out. And so, um, yeah, that was my, that was my cesarean delivery. I mean, I, it's not what I wanted. Obviously it's, it was kind of the polar opposite of what I wanted. It went as well as it could have. And I, I have peace about like how it went. I didn't feel forced into anything. I didn't feel coerced. I didn't feel, you know, abused by the medical system. I know that's, that's the story for a lot of my friends. And I hate that for them. Cause I know, I know how much emotional, like long-term emotional damage that can cause. So I'm grateful that I at least feel like I had some choices in the matter, even though that it's not at all what I wanted, that I still had some freedom. That being said, I was a mess emotionally afterwards. I mean, everything changed in a matter of 11 hours and I found myself, or I guess you could say 24 hours total. I found myself being ready to have a home birth and finding that he was breached and then finding out that we could probably do an external cephalic version to then going into labor to being on that cold, hard metal table. And it was just a lot to process emotionally. I, I found myself for the next year after every time I talked about it, 
every time I said the cesarean or my cesarean, I would just cry. And it, I mean, it was devastating. It was so devastating. I, I didn't feel like I failed. Um, I never felt like my body failed. I was just disappointed. I, I was so disappointed, especially not knowing if I would ever have another chance to give birth again. And uh, it really took me a lot of talking to get through it. And I, you know, I'm, I'm on social media quite a bit. I'm fairly active on Instagram. I, I have my wedding photography account and then I have my home account, which is where I talk about motherhood and parenting and natural living. And, you know, now we're homeschooling. So I'm talking about that. And I, I started opening up a little bit about it on there, just about like, I didn't want to cast shade on anybody who had an elective cesarean or people who were totally fine with their cesareans. Cause I had friends that were like that. And, you know, they fought the stigmas of it not being a real birth, you know, not actually birthing a baby. And there's a lot of, there's just a lot of stigmas around birth. Right. And I just, I had a lot of friends that really battled with that. And so I, I was like, you know, I don't want to make them feel bad, but I also, I also just like, I don't know, like I, I need to process some of this. Like I'm, I can't even say the word cesarean without breaking down and crying. And I'm not normally a, a terribly emotional person. I'm fairly logical. And so it was just like a really different experience for me to be that emotional about something. So um, I started talking about it on my social media platform on Instagram and um, just found that a lot of women felt the same way as me. And, and a lot of them, not even the same way as me, but a lot of them carried so much shame, like just so much shame about the fact that they had a cesarean and they felt like, you know, it wasn't a real birth experience or that, you know, they, they did their child a disservice by, by having a cesarean. And maybe that, you know, all these things we know now about how gut health and microbiome and how you need that bacteria that you're exposed to in the vaginal canal and you don't get that through a cesarean and just like all this guilt all this mom guilt of things that they carried with them after their cesarean and I a lot of that resonated with me and I just found that by opening up it just opened up the floodgates of like friends of mine friends of mine that I had no idea they carried this guilt or this shame over a cesarean and I think that kind of propelled me to be like guys, like we've got to pull ourselves together. Like I'm talking to myself here, but like, like there's nothing to be ashamed of here. I like, yes, it was disappointing for all of us in so many ways and in different ways it, it affected all of us very differently. But like, I, I don't know, I guess I got to a point where I was like, I just refuse to carry this as like a badge of shame for the rest of my life. What else could I have done? There was nothing else that I could have done. I, I, so like, why am I going to spend the rest of my life living in shame over this? And that, that next year after he was born was really, I just had to go through like a lot of healing mentally and emotionally to get to the point where I was like, you know, I still wish that I had that home birth that I wanted, but I'm okay with it. And I've, I've made peace with my birth and my delivery and it helped that my child was perfect. And he slept through the night, like right from day one. And that, I mean, breastfeeding was another, that was a whole other nightmare of a story, but I mean, we did end up ultimately nursing for two years, but the first three months were, I'm like, my God, can I catch a break? Like I vomited my whole pregnancy, then I had a cesarean. And now like this kid won't eat off of me. And like my boobs are the size of East Africa. Like, can I catch a break for a second? Um, but he it's a lot to process through 
all at yeah. once as you're learning about your new baby, you're learning how to become a mom, you have all the hormones and everything else yes. going on. That's a lot to carry. Totally. And as much as I knew about babies, cause I had been around them my whole life. Like, I mean, in retrospect, like I was a child for most of it. And so like the moms that my mom was friends with, like, they're not going to talk to a 14 year old about like their hormonal issues and like postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety. Like I had a very narrow minded view of postpartum, which, you know, is not shocking because I feel like most of us have an idea of what motherhood looks like or what we think it's going to look like before we actually become mothers. Yeah. So anyway, I, I just spent that next year just really trying to intentionally focus on like healing, like not just my body, but also my emotions and the disappointment that I had to go through um, with that. So I just want to note too, how awesome it was that you advocated for yourself to labor also, like knowing that you were going to have a C-section, but still saying, you know, I want to experience this. I want to feel all of this. And I mean, knowing what we know about labor also, like it is good for baby to go through that and feel those hormones. And even if he wasn't necessarily like pushed down and out of the birth canal to still get those squeezes and everything else that comes with labor. I just think that that's really cool that you chose to do all of that still knowing like, okay, in the end, I'm still going to have a C-section, but I still want, I still want to be a part of this and experience this. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think in part it was like you said, because I wanted to experience it. I also though, because I'm a certified doula, I knew those benefits as well. So I'm like, this is not just for me, but it's also for my baby. Um, I also, so one thing I left out was, have you ever heard of seeding? Do you know what seeding yeah, is? Yeah. Okay. So we did that. Um, and it's funny because I, I hadn't mentioned this to anybody prior because I'm like, I just wasn't, my mind wasn't set on a cesarean and I had no reason to believe that I would have one. And so I hadn't mentioned anything to anybody, but just like three weeks prior, I had read about seeding. And for those who don't know what it is, it's basically when the baby comes through the birth canal, there's good bacteria in your vagina that they get exposed to. And it, you know, it like covers their skin and then it absorbs it. And that kind of sets the foundation for the microbiome in their gut, which sets the foundation for their immune system and their gut health for the rest of their life, which is insane it's when you huge. think about it. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's massive. And so I consider this, you know, the grace of God that I literally had just started reading about that, like two or three weeks prior to delivering. So it was fresh in my mind. And I said to my mom, like, as I was laboring, I was like, here's what I want you to do right before they took me back for the cesarean. I was like, I want you to go ask them for some gauze and I want you to stick it at me. And she was like, what? <laughs> and I was like, it's like, if I didn't make myself clear, let me try again. I want you to go get some gauze and I want you to stick it up in my vagina. And, and I think at this point, like my husband was like, you are really out of your mind. Like what in the world? And so she did. And the doctors didn't know because I, I kind of had this hunch that they would be like, no, you can't have anything up in you when we're doing the cesarean, although it makes no sense, but I did mention it to the doctor. I was like, have you heard of the practice of seeding? And can you do that? And they were like, no, like, what's that? And I was like, um, never mind. Like, it's not a big deal. But meanwhile, I was laying there like gauze up my badge. Um, and so <laughs> as like, after he was born and I don't, I don't, I'll never know, like if this works, like, I don't know 
I don't know if there's timing, like is I, like with the bacteria, like is there a, a window of time? I have no idea, but I, I rest in good conscience that I did my best and whatever. So um, after I was out of the operating room, you know, it takes like a couple hours, right? When you're in there, they're sewing you up, they, I don't know, make sure you don't have a reaction and whatever. Um, or we finally got back into the room and I saw my mom and and she was like, oh my gosh, she's like, can I hold him? And I was like, take the stuff out of me and you need to rub it all over him. And she was like, oh, that's what that was for. And so we literally like unwrapped him and just like took that gauze and just rubbed it like all over his body. And, and that was that, like, we just did it. And I'll never know if it worked, but I will tell you this. My son is almost five years old. He has never been sick. I mean, he's, we also do a lot of other crazy things. Like I napped him outside for the first two and a half years of his life in Connecticut where it's like, you know, snow and blizzards. That's a whole other conversation for another day. That's something that I learned when I lived in Europe, but you know, that we, um, we eat very clean. He's out in the sunshine often, like all day, every day during pretty much year round. I let them play outside barefoot. So there's a lot of things that we do for health, but he's never been sick. And so I wonder like if it, if it helps, I have no idea. I guess I'll never know, but it certainly didn't hurt. Um, so yeah, that was that. So Moving on now to part two, um, I had that, like I said, I had that whole postpartum experience and finally came to terms with it. And then about, yeah, he's probably 19 or 20 months because they're, my kids are 28 months apart. So 19 months old or whatever. Um, Surprise, (laughs) my period was late and I peed on a stick and it lit up like a Christmas tree. And uh, my husband still was of the mindset that he only wanted one child. He was done. He is an only child. Um, and at this point, he had been not just exposed, but he knows my family. I'm the oldest of 11. And my parents' house is like a circus act. Like, it's just insane. And he's like, yeah, I'm good with one. I'm good. Like, we're, we're good. <laughs> he's he's made parenthood easy for us. Like, our transition to parenthood was fairly easy. He slept through the night. He was a great eater outside of our nursing struggles, the first few months, like he ate everything. He was just happy. Like he was such a good, easy baby. Um, and so my husband was like, I'm set, like I'm good. And then, uh, we got pregnant and I told him I, so I took the test actually on like a Sunday night. Cause I had started feeling nauseous and I was like, huh, I remember this feeling. And so I peed on a stick and once you know, it was positive. And, uh, the next morning I woke up at 4 a.m. to vomit and I'm like, yep, I should probably tell him. I don't know how far along I am, but he needs to know. And so I, I just remember he he had just come out of the shower. He was getting ready for work and he was in our like walk-in closet. And I walked in and I handed him the pregnancy test. And I really hope that this doesn't like offend people because I know, I mean, we have friends that have struggled so hard to get pregnant and uh, it's it's devastating. Like we have a lot of friends that are still like, trying and not very successful. And so I want to be sensitive to that crowd. Um, if, if that is you, then you might want to just skip ahead on the podcast 15 or 30 seconds. Um, so when I told him, he literally, he put his head up against the wall and he goes, not again. Great reaction. <laughs> Thanks. I mean, well, okay. Um, or no, no, no. He didn't say not again. He, he put his head against the wall and he goes, uh, like he let this sigh. And then I looked up at him. I go, I want this one to be born at home. And he goes, not again. <laughs> um, That's even better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I was like, 
I, and I looked at him dead in the eye. I was like, this baby's being born at home. Like, I don't care what it's going to take because at this point I had spent those, those previous 19 months after my son was born studying breech delivery. And I now knew that breech delivery is a variation of normal. And it's just that our practitioners in the U S are not trained in breech delivery, Mm -hmm. but over in the UK and in Denmark, they are. And so I'm like breech delivery is an option. And so there really is no option. There's really no reason why I shouldn't be able to have a birth at home. Like there's just not, I just need to find someone who is skilled or trained in that practice. And so, so he finally, it didn't take him long to convince him this time. I think probably because he knows that like when I've got my mind set on something, like it's done. Like the second it's in my head, if I want to do it, like there's no convincing me otherwise. He, you know, after that, he, I think he like, he kind of like surrendered pretty quickly. So he was like, not again. But then like by two days later, he was just like, okay, fine. Like, whatever you want. So yeah, that was, that was me telling him. And then that pregnancy, I was really praying would be different than my first. It was not at all. I vomited the entire time again, or through week 34. And, uh, once again, I did not want to find out the gender deep down. I was really hoping for a girl, but I just, you know, I think like a lot of us, like ultimately you just want a healthy baby, but there was something in my heart that I just, like, I just felt like this was going to be a redemptive experience. And I just, there was something in my heart that just really desired a little girl, um, which is funny. Cause I had always wanted to be a boy mom. Like my entire life, I was a tomboy and I could just see myself like doing sports and climbing trees and going camping. And I never played with dolls or girly things. Like I was just not like a girly girl, but I just had this like desire for a girl. And I actually thought my son was going to be a girl. So I left that part up, but when they, when they pulled him out of me, they go, it's a boy. And I went, oh, I had told a few people leading up to my son's delivery that I was so convinced. I mean, based on like every one of those calculators, you know, like there's the ring trick, there's the Chinese calendar, there's all of these like old wives tales. Every single one of them pointed, even because I was tracking, I used myself as a science experiment. I knew the exact day that he was conceived. And based on that, like based on everything, it all pointed to being a girl. And then like they say, you know, with girls, you're sicker. And I was vomiting all the time. And so I'm like, it's a girl. I just know it's a girl. And I even told a few friends, I don't know, like a couple months before I had him, I'm like, I'm so convinced that I'd be willing to like put my house on the line. <laughs> <laughs> and then after is where I'm like, I guess it's a good thing I'm not a gambler because we would be piss poor like if I gambled because I am way off. Um, so anyway, all that to say, when I was pregnant with my daughter, I, I think I was afraid to hope because, you know, ultimately you just want a, a healthy baby, but I really deep down wanted a girl. And I, I also didn't want to find out the gender because I, again, this sounds awful because I feel like it's such a privilege to even say this, but I didn't want to find out that it was a boy and then like be disappointed. And I felt like if I waited until labor and delivery, like you're just so happy to be done that you don't care if a puppy comes out, like you're just happy with whatever's in your arms because it's out of you. Um, and so I'm like, I won't care at that point if it's a boy or a girl. And so I decided to wait on the gender. Um, but my husband this time was like, I want to find out. And so I'm like, well, <laughs> how do we do this? And so, um, because once again, I was geriatric pregnancy, they did blood tests early on in 11 weeks. And so they can confirm the gender by that. And I said to him, I'm like, here's the thing. I, I don't want to know. 
And I know that you do. And I know that you're a vault. I mean, he's, he spent 10 years in the military. And if, I guess if you knew him, like people were like, Oh, is that going to be hard to like, keep a secret? I'm like, have you met Adam? Like, <laughs> cause if you met him, you would know it's not hard for him to keep a secret at all. Like he's got a serious poker face. He's just like military guy through and through. So I gave him my midwife's information and I was like, you can call her whenever you want to find out the results, but I don't want to know when you call her. Cause if I know that, you know, then I'm going to go a little crazy. But if, if I don't know like that, you've called or when you've called, I'm just, I'm not going to ask you and we'll just leave it at that. And I know that he hates talking on the phone to people. Like that's probably one of his least favorite things to do in life. So I'm like, he might not even call like he might be willing to wait to find out the gender just because he doesn't want to take 30 seconds to talk on the phone to somebody <laughs> that legit might happen. So I was just like, I'm just going to leave it. Um, I did find out though at Christmas that he knew because my sister tried getting it out of him. And so I was due in March and she was like, yeah, I tried getting it out of Adam, but he won't tell me. And I was like, I don't even know if he knows. And she's like, oh no, he said he knew. And I was like, uh, now I have to spend two and a half months like knowing that he knows. So anyway, that was that, but yeah, he knew, he knew most of the time and he kept it locked down. I mean, he tried to play mind games with me like the whole time. <laughs> I should say from then on, cause he, he knew that I found out that he knew. So from like Christmas all the way until she was born on uh, March 9th, he played like mind games with me. Like we would be in the store and he would just like he would just like grab like a little girl's dress or just like touch it, which is, if you knew my husband, you would know that that's a joke. Cause he does, he's like never purchased any clothing for them. He's just like, a, I don't know, they could be in pajamas and they're fine. Um, or like we, we were talking about baby names and like for girls, he was just like, yeah, I'm fine with that, whatever. Like, and, and I knew that he would have more of an opinion, but when we were talking about boy names, he was like really opinionated. And so I'm like, Oh, it's going to be a boy because he's got like strong opinions on the names, but then we would be in a store and he would like look at a, at like a newborn girl's dress. And I'm like, it's going to be a girl. Cause he's looking at that dress. So like, he was totally playing me for like two and a half months. And it took a lot of willpower for me to not just call my midwife myself and be like, just tell me. So anyway, um, I ended up switching practices for my daughter's, um, pregnancy and delivery because my former practice they work together with our, with one of our local hospitals. And the deal that they have with the hospital is that they're not allowed to taking on VBAC clients. So the hospital said they're, they're only a home birth, but they're like, you can transfer here and you can deliver the babies. But our requirements are that you're not allowed taking VBAC people on. And so they were like, for them, it's worth it because then they're always allowed to transfer with their clients and still deliver even in the hospital. Whereas a lot of, I mean, I know different States handle things differently, but here in Connecticut, like most other midwives, if you transfer, that's it. Like you're just handed over to the hospital and like, you, you don't ever see your midwife again. Well, maybe not ever again, but not for birth. So because of that, my former midwifery practice couldn't take me, but they were like, you're a great candidate for a VBAC. And there's no reason like your labor progressed beautifully in seven hours. You got from your first contraction to transition. Like there is no reason why you can't have a VBAC. And my obstetrician that delivered my son also agreed. So um, with my daughter, I got a couple recommendations from them of like, I'm like, okay, so who do you recommend then? And they gave me a few names and I interviewed a few people. And 
ultimately landed on the midwife that I used who was, she was just phenomenal. All of my prenatal care was done in my house. Like she came to my house. She let my son who was a toddler at that time help with like the, you know, listening to the heartbeat and blood pressure. Like he just loved it. And so, um, once again, the, the pregnancy went by very smoothly outside of me throwing up a lot. And once again, my best friend came into town and it was within 24 hours that I went into labor, but backtrack just a, uh, I guess a couple months. Although I knew in my head that a VBAC was safe and even doing it at home was a safe option. Um, I really doubted myself. Like I, I really battled so much just with, just with so much doubt of like, am I making a foolish decision? Like, what if Alex, what if he turned breach because he would have died at home? You know, like, what if I, what if it was like God's mercy on me that the baby turned breach and I ended up in a cesarean because otherwise he or I would have died at home. Like, I don't know, like, am I being a fool for trying this again at home? And I, I just had a lot of intrusive thoughts and a lot of doubts really right up until I was like 34 or 35 weeks. And with my son, I did, I read the hypnobirthing book by Marie Mongan and it was, it helped me so much during labor, even though I knew I was going to end up in a cesarean, I was able to stay like in complete peace, um, and just like complete relaxed state. And with my daughter, like I tried, I tried doing the breathing techniques and I tried, you know, getting in the tub. That was kind of like my place during my, my first pregnancy. I would just lay in the tub for four nights a week and do my breathing relaxation techniques. And I just, I couldn't do it. I, I would lay in the tub and I would just like, just want to put on Netflix. Like I, I just couldn't get my head in the game at all. And, um, my mom was supposed to be there for my daughter's delivery. And I had a little bit of anxiety around that. I don't know why, but I think I felt a lot of pressure to like perform for her mm-hmm. because she had such high expectations. And, um, I was the only one of her kids that would be delivering at home. Um, at that point, I was not the only one that had a cesarean. My, one of my sisters had a cesarean, but like I had been with her for my biological sister for both of her deliveries. And it was just like, Katie's doing so amazing. And she, I mean, she really did. My sister was like a trooper. I mean, both fully natural vaginal deliveries. Like she just, she birthed really well. And my mom was just like, she's like, she tends to be really judgmental on like how a woman's birthing. And I think I just had like this idea in the back of my head that I just didn't want to be like, I didn't want to be a spectacle. And, but I, but I knew that she, like, she had never missed any of her grandkids' births. Like it was almost not an option for her not to be there, but I also wanted her to be there. Like, it was like this weird tension of, of like, you know, I want her to be there, but I also don't want to be under pressure and feel like I'm just being watched. Right. So it was just like this weird thing. But then my aunt ended up getting diagnosed with breast cancer um, when I was probably about, probably like 28 weeks or so. And we had learned that she, and she's down in Texas, we're up in Connecticut. And we had learned that her mastectomy was going to be like the week before I was due. And so when I was about 34 weeks, my mom called me one day and she was like, I need to talk to you about something. And I was like, what? And she's like, um, auntie Vicky's mastectomy is scheduled for like the week before you're due. And I was like, mom, if you like, if you need to go be with your sister, go be with your sister. And she's like, she just really needs support. And I just, I don't know what to do. And I was like, go, no, it's fine. Like, trust me, like, we'll FaceTime you in. And I was like, maybe you'll be back in time. Like, who knows? Like, you know, I could go like two weeks late, who knows? 
And she was like, okay. And she's like, I'll just pray that, you know, I get back in time. And I hung up the phone and I cannot tell you the weight that was lifted off my shoulders. And it was like, that's what I needed to be like, I can do this. And it's crazy because like I said, I wanted my mom there. It it was just, just like this weird thing. And I, you know, the mother-in-law or the mom or the sister or whoever wants to be there. And it's like, sometimes you just don't want that person to be, or you just need to kind of work through yourself. I've also had that with, I had a woman reach out to me knowing that I was planning a home birth who just hadn't been to a lot of home births. And so she wanted to be there to experience and kind of see. And I was like, you know, I really want to be the person that like, normalizes birth and can show you like how great birth can be but at the same time then you feel like you're like you said like you have to perform or you have to like meet these certain expectations and it's just it 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 is a lot of pressure to put on yourself so i definitely think it's really important to be completely comfortable with anybody that might possibly be in your space when you're giving birth because otherwise it is going to weigh on you yeah yeah totally yeah. So, okay. So all that to say, I, I really just struggled with like getting my head in the game. And it wasn't until about 34 weeks that I finally just like jumped over this hurdle, whatever the hurdle was mentally, emotionally, whatever, where I was like, I can do this. And my, and I will say this, my midwife, my entire pregnancy, cause I shared some of these fears with her and some of these doubts. And every time she came to visit me, she's like, Alicia, what is your gut telling you? And what is your heart telling you? Because you will know if you're not going to be safe at home, you will know if you need to be in the care of a, if, of a doctor or at a hospital. And I was like, I have no reason to believe that I need to birth anywhere outside of my home, but I just have like these doubts. And she was like, just like, keep your heart open and just keep listening to your gut, but you will know. And so finally at 34 weeks, I, it was like a light bulb went off and my head was in the game. And I was like, let's do this mother. Like, I got this. Let's do this. I like game on. I'm finally not throwing up anymore. Maybe that was the switch, honestly, is that I stopped vomiting and felt like somewhat of a normal human. And I was just like, okay, I'm good. Let's do this. So my two best friends were planning to come into town and um, one of them has four kids and the other one doesn't have any. And uh, I was due on March 13th. And my mom was due to come back from visiting my aunt on March 13th. And uh, my my one best friend was coming in on March 8th in the evening. And my other best friend was coming in on March 9th at like noon. And so it was this whole game of like everybody like, like you know, praying. I think they were trying <laughs> to see who's favorite, like who is the favorite with God um, of like what the due date should be. We also have my neighbor, like of all people, right? My neighbor was like, I want to be there. I mean, she's, she's like family to us. She was kind of like a grandma to my son. And she was like, I'll take Alex and maybe I'll also camp out in your living room. Like, I don't like, and she was going to be gone, I think in Italy until like March 15th or something. So it was like all of this, like there was never a date that they were all going to be there. So they were all like, fighting over which day the birthday should be. I'm like, you guys realize that none of you actually have a say in this and that there's actually a chance that none of you will be here. Like if I go early, literally, like if I go a week early, literally none of you will be here. Um, and if I go two weeks late, most of you won't be here. Um, and so that was, uh, it, that was just like a funny thing leading up to, to that. So you had said that you read that, was it a hypnobirthing book? Yes, it's right? just called Hypnobirthing by Marie Mongan. 
Okay. Was there anything else that you did just to kind of work through those fears and intrusive thoughts that you were having? Or did it really just seem to kind of all of a sudden it was gone? So I also um, discovered the Christian hypnobirthing app, which it just had, so there's like a few different tracks. It has like scripture tracks and then it has um, like birth affirmation tracks. And then there's like a musical one. I don't know. There's like six or seven different tracks, but um, I started listening to that. And it's, it's interesting because that actually played a pretty big role in my actual delivery, but it's the same music that plays behind all of the tracks. And then it's just, you know, the birth affirmations are birth affirmations. Like my body was made for this and my baby's going to come out safe and healthy. And my, my body's doing exactly what it needs to do at the time it needs to do it. Like just all those, you know, typical ones. Um, the scripture ones were more like, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And yeah, just verses of like encouragement and empowerment and verses about peace. Um, and that was, I feel like listening to those, like when I was doubting myself, listening to that, especially from a scriptural standpoint, because my husband and I are, are people of faith, um, that was instrumental to my mindset shifting and knowing that like the God who I believed in is the one who designed my body to do this. And this is his perfect design. And there's no reason why I should doubt the perfect design. And when I look around the world and I see the grass growing outside and I see my son who's perfect and I see the blue sky and rainbows and snow and mountains and rivers, like all of this incredible design, like why would he leave out my body? And our bodies are just so incredible. And so I think that like just starting to really let that sink in helped me a lot um, and helped me just kind of get over those mental hurdles of doubting whether or not I was making the right decision and the safest decision. So, yeah. Awesome. That's so powerful. Thank you for sharing that. No problem. And then I also... um, there's like other things that I do. So I've got, I've got my list in my phone and saved because I send it to like friends of mine all the time of like starting at 34 weeks, do this and this and this. And so it's things like, you know, eat six dates a day because that softens your cervix and just like various things. So there, there are things like that. And then um, using my essential oils, like we use essential oils for everything. And the company that we use is Young Living because they have some blends that I love. So I would put like, um, joy across my heart. There's a blend called joy. I would put that across my heart and I would diffuse peace and calming, um, pretty regularly, or like, especially when I was in the bathtub, just listening to the affirmations and listening to like the, just the birth prep. I also, um, something that really helped me for both kids is when I would lay in the tub at night, that was like my time to, you know, get in the headspace. Um, I, I've probably watched every single home birth video on YouTube. And so I would just type in like peaceful home birth. And that's what I would just watch every single video I could find online of like peaceful. Yeah. Just like peaceful, not easy, but normal birth, like birth in its normal physiological process where it just looks normal. And I feel like because I'm such a visual person, that really helped me a lot to just watch other women give birth. And that, that affects your subconscious too. When you see totally. all of those normal births at home without all of these interferences and interventions and things like that, 
your body is going to start to feel calm just in those circumstances too, because that's what it's used to seeing. Yeah, I, I completely agree. So then take us to kind of when labor started. To, as I say, to D-Day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so my my best friend got in at 8 p.m. on a Friday night, Friday night the 8th. And uh, like I said, she's my little lucky charm. And we were kind of hoping, I so I was hoping that my well, she ended up being a girl, obviously, but that my daughter was born either on the 9th at night or the 10th because my other best friend was going to be there till the following Wednesday. So I'm like, I want to have like a day of just like hanging with her before there's like a baby introduced into the mix. So I'm like, the 10th would be a perfect birthday. Um, but I ended up, I woke up at 3.21 in the morning with, I, I shouldn't say a strong contraction. That's what I was going to say. But I woke up being like, wow, I have bad gas. I was like, I, these are like bad gas pains. And I just like laid in bed with like bad gas, but I wasn't farting. And so I'm like, what is this? And I just laid there probably for like an hour and, you know, the gas pains just got worse. And so I stood up and I went into the bathroom and I texted my midwife and I was like, you know, I just want to let you know that I've got some like bad gas. I don't think it's anything, but I just feel like I should text you to let you know. And she called me. And she was just like asking me questions and I was answering them. And she's like, I'm, and so I was like, I'm going to hop in the shower and uh, I'll see if like, you know, the gas goes away and I'll get on all fours and like try and work it out. And she's like, I'm going to make my way over there. And I was like, no, no, it's way too early. Like, you know, it's, it's the middle of the night, get some sleep, like maybe it's labor, but you know, we've got all night. Like I'll call you when things get, you know, when things actually start happening. And she's like, okay. And so I get in the shower and when I was in the shower, I just remember being on all fours and I actually have my, my entire birth story. I like Instagram, the whole thing. And so if you go to my Instagram, which is Alicia Ann underscore home, um, you're going to scroll pretty far to the right. There's birth story one and birth story two, but birth story one, the first video is of me in the middle of the night being like, Hey guys, so I could be in labor. I don't know. Like, I think I'm out of gas. I don't know. I think I'm, I'm getting in the shower and see. And then the next one is of me being like, I'm in labor. Um, so <laughs> That's I was, awesome. Yeah, I was in the shower and I just remember at one point I was on all fours and I was like, yeah, this isn't gas. Like, this is not gas. And so um, I got out of the shower and once again, like I had to get down on all fours. That was like the position that I just had to be in at that time. And I, I was like butt naked, I think. I think I had a towel wrapped around my head. And I just remember my midwife walked in and she goes, how's that gas treating you? And I was like, it's not gas. And she's like, oh, I know. Like I could tell when you told me not to come. She's like, I got in my car and I came right away because I knew that it was not gas. And I was like, yeah, you were right. Um, so that was that, like the labor just progressed so beautifully, so wonderfully. I had, so I had a doula here. She was a childhood friend of mine and she came over probably about, five o'clock in the morning. And, um, my, my best friend that was here, she started taking pictures. Uh, I think my husband woke her up almost right away. So she took a few in the middle of the night, but then started taking pictures when things like really started picking up around like five, five or six, I think. And, and it just like, I don't know, it just like happened. Like it was all just like quiet and peaceful. I was in my clawfoot tub for most of it. The one thing I laugh now looking back, but we, we had, I borrowed a blow up 
like birthing tub from a friend of ours that had a home birth. And I had been asking my husband, he had kind of, at this point, he was like, you know, he knew that the home birth was happening. He had come around to it, but he was still like, I'm going to try and be there, but I'm, I can't promise you that I'm going to be in the room. Like when you're pushing, but I'm going to try. And I was like, that's fine. Like whatever you need to do. But once again, I like, I think that you should try and be there. Like if you can like really push yourself. And he's like, I'm going to try, I promise. Um, but I was like the one job that the one thing I'm expecting you to do is I need you to blow up the birth tub and fill it with hot water. Like that is the only, I, I have no other expectations of you. Like if you want to do other things, have at it. These are all the things that I'll, I think I'll want done during labor, but that's why I have a doula. And that's why I have a photographer. Like I covered all the bases so that you can just, you do you, but I need you to make sure that tub gets up and fill with hot water. And I feel like this is the part where like, everyone's probably cackling under their breath being like, we know how this, where the story's going. Um, so I labored for the most part in my clawfoot tub, which is adorable, but is not very big. And, you know, at the end of pregnancy, you're like the size of a whale. And so I, I just like couldn't really get comfortable. My legs are falling asleep and my arms are falling asleep. And I found that I wanted to be like um, on all fours or like hovered over the edge of the tub. Um, I hated being on my back. I was on my back for a few contractions and it was like awful, like awful, awful. So I wanted to be like somewhat upright. <laughs> I just remember like asking Adam a few times, like, you know, can you get the tub going? Or that I said to my midwife, like, you know, is, like, how's the tub going? And she's like, it's going. And I remember kind of like vaguely seeing my husband come in and out of the bathroom a few times. And like, he would step into our walk-in shower with the hose and like mess with things. But then he would, he would walk away and the hose was on the ground. And I'm like, you know, I'm in labor, like focusing. So I'm not like paying close attention to anything, but I just remember at one point my bathroom had turned light, which meant that the sun was up and my, my son had woken up at that point. So he was kind of coming in and out and he was like stroking my hair. And I just remember looking up at my midwife and it was about eight 15 in the morning. And for reference, I delivered at 10 13. So this was just like two hours before I actually pushed her out. And I looked up and I was like, is the tub blown up yet? And she goes, so I just sent Adam to home Depot to get some parts. And I was like, I'm going to kill him. Like he had one job was to get the stupid tub blown up. And I don't know, there was like some connector or something that he needed some part to like connect the hose to the shower. I don't know, but I probably labored in my clawfoot tub for like three hours too long. Cause I really need to get out of there. Um, so he finally got it up and, uh, right before he ended finishing that, we actually had like a little bit of a hiccup that it just showed me like the, the confidence and the competency of my midwife. But, um, she, at one point I was contracting and she was like, she got down at eye level with me and she just looked me in the eye and she goes, there's a little bit more blood than I'm comfortable with right now. And so after your next contraction, I'm going to check you. Oh no. I, okay. So I should back up a little bit. So I had her check me one time during labor and we had talked ahead of time about like, I don't really think that I want to be checked because I don't want to do that whole like emotional roller coaster of, you know, you check me and I think that I'm like, you know, ready to push and you tell me I'm only two centimeters dilated. Cause I see that happen all the time with um, friends of mine in the hospital. That's like, you know, you think you're so far and then you learn that you're like not even close and it's just so defeating. And so I didn't want to do that. And so I did at one point, I'm like, I want you to check me. I forget what I had said, but I was like, I just like, I just want you to check me. And so she did. And I was like, 
where I think I was like, where am I at? And she goes, well, where do you think you're at? And I, and she's like, where, like, where would you guess? And I was like, probably like a six or a seven. She's like, okay. And she's like, well, I'll tell you this much. She's like, you're not, um, you're not as far along as you think. Um, but she's like, but you're doing great and your body's progressing. And so there's nothing to be concerned about. Like you're doing great and you'll have this baby today. And I was like, okay. I later found out that I was like two and a half centimeters when she checked me. And I, I asked her, I was like, you know, if I really pushed you. And I remember thinking in that moment, like, do I want to push her to get a number? Like what good can come of me? If she says I'm a three, how am I going to respond? And if she says I'm a seven, how am I going to respond? And I, I couldn't think of any good scenario that would come of her really actually telling me the number unless I was further along than I expected. But I was like, but if I was further along, she would have said that, like, she would have said, well, you're at an eight and she didn't. So I probably wasn't as far along as I thought I am. And I remember thinking all this. And so I just decided not to push her. And later on, she was like, I wouldn't have told you anyways, because there's no way that would have been helpful for you to know that you were at like a two. What a nice way to present that instead of like just straight up saying the number because exactly yeah. what you said it's so easy to get discouraged by that even though we know it's not always a straight line from one to ten but we still get so hung up on that number i i just want to share this really quick because i have been working with a midwife in my area and we were talking kind of about the same thing last week and she said that she has started telling women like, oh, yep, there's some cervix left or nope, there's no cervix left instead mm -hmm. of giving them a number. Just yeah, saying like, that. yep, there's a little bit more to go or nope, it's all gone. You can push if you feel ready to push because in all reality, it doesn't matter exactly where you are in that moment most of the time. Yeah. Yeah, no, I love that actually. And I, I just wish that there was like more teaching on birth language. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, like pregnancy language, birth language, postpartum language, but like even, and especially amongst practitioners, like the, the words that you use are so powerful, especially when you're speaking with the laboring woman and man, if I had a dime for the things that I've heard practitioners say to a woman in labor that I wanted to, I'm like, I can literally slap you in the face right now because mm -hmm. what a foolish thing to say to a laboring woman, but Anyway, that's beside the point. That's, you know, probably that's part a whole of the other podcast why, episode. I, well, I was going to say, that's probably why a lot of us are where we're at with wanting a home birth is because many of us have had those experiences, right? Where mm -hmm. we just weren't treated well. So, um, okay. So fast forward, because I know that I can be long-winded. So um, she says to me, you know, later on, this is probably two hours later, um, probably around, I guess I don't know the exact time, but I'm going to say at like 930 in the morning. Um she says, you know, there's a little bit more blood than I'm comfortable with. So I want to check you on your next contraction or after your next contraction. And that will tell me everything that I need to know. And I was like, I looked at her and I was like, do you think that my placenta is beginning to separate? And she was like, I will check on your next contraction and it will tell me everything that I need to know. Oh no. I, I think I said, do you think that my uterus is rupturing? And she was like, I'll check in your next contraction. It will tell me everything I need to know. And she's like, but I am going to need you to get out of the tub for this and lay on your back. And I was like, oh, I have no desire to do that, but okay. So I did that. I got out and I laid down and she was like, well, the good news is that you are 10 centimeters and you are ready to push. And she's like, and I want you to push. She's like, you need to push. She's like, there, it's not an emergency, but we, we need to get this baby out. 
like as soon as we can. And I, I was like, you know, is my uterus rupturing? She's like, no, I don't think so. But she's like, there's a little bit more blood than I prefer. And so let's just get this baby out. You're 10 centimeters. And so I was like, okay. And, um, so she had me push a little bit on the birthing ball, um, leaning against my tubs because the blow up tub still was not blown up. And so I was leaning against my clawfoot tub and pushing and that wasn't really doing anything. And so then at one point she was like, good news. The tub is blown up. You can get in it now. And I was like, thank God. So that was probably at like nine 40 in the morning, maybe nine 45. So I got in the tub and I'm like, this feels like the size of Lake Placid. Like it was so huge compared to my clawfoot tub. I'm like, I could swim in here. Um, and the other thing I should say is that my entire labor, I was fully mentally cognizant. Like I, I never got to a point where I felt like I couldn't do it. I never was like, this is awful. I mean, I was, when I was contracting, especially later in the game, like probably the last three hours or during transition, when I was having contractions, I would like look up at my doula or my best friend. And I would say stuff like, I just want to go back to bed. Like, can I just take a nap right now? Or there was one time that I was like, I get why people get an epidural. This kind of sucks. Like, Basically, I just felt like I had missed a night of sleep and even labor or not, if I miss a night of sleep, I'm kind of grouchy. So it was just kind of like grouchy that I hadn't slept most of the night because I was up since 3 a.m. But besides that, like I was fully mentally present in between contractions. I was talking, I was laughing. My two-year-old son was in there. Um, I asked him what he had for breakfast. Like it it was fine. Like it, I don't want to say it was easy, but it was not, it was not what people in the movies and TV make it out to be. It was not something to be feared like society has told us it should be. It was, I mean, it was work. It was labor. It, it was hard work. And I don't always like hard work. I sometimes like things to be easy in life. And so, um, you know, I, I was just like, I just want to sleep. I just want to take a nap. Uh, but besides that, like I was fully mentally cognizant and present. I could make very logical decisions which is why my midwife later on, she told me, she's like, I got down in your face and told you that, you know, I need to check you because I knew that you could handle it mentally. And I knew that you were logical and would understand. And I didn't want to like candy coat things. And I didn't want you to, she's like, I wanted you to understand the, I, I knew that you would understand that it was urgent, but that it was not an emergency. And so, um, I, that's just something that I appreciate so much is that I, I was just so fully present. Like I never felt like I, lost it mentally. Like I was just fully present during the entire thing. And I'm so grateful for that. Cause that's one of the things that I really wanted. Um, I, one of the things that I attribute to that for anybody who's listening is, um, Valor essential oil from young living. They call it the courage boosting oil. And I never really like bought into like oils for emotional support, but I'm convinced that that, that alone is like the thing that got me through. And I've used it on clients and friends of mine since then. And they've kind of had the same experience. So I took Valor essential oil. I told my doula ahead of time. I'm like, I want you to roll this down my spine every single hour without fail. I'm probably not going to remember. So you set your timer and I want this rolled down my spine every hour. And she did. And I, I swear that's what got me through labor feeling so fully mentally present. Like I, I almost felt like I was like, I don't know, like tripping on drugs or high. I've never been high and I've never tripped out on drugs, but I can imagine maybe that's what it feels like. I don't know. I was just like so mentally present. It was, it was so cool. So 
anyway, so I'm pushing and I get into the birth tub and it was great. The water felt amazing. I love that I was able to move, but then it just kind of felt like, I'm like, am I pushing right? Like I, I didn't know cause I had never done it before. And like, I felt pressure, but it didn't feel like anything was really happening. And so my midwife said, this is after like a couple contractions. She's like, all right, I want you to get out of the birth pool and I want you to go on the toilet. You're going to sit on the toilet and push. And she's like, and I want nobody in there except for your doula. And so uh, my mom was on FaceTime this entire time. And uh, my best friend was taking pictures and I mean, I was fine. Like I didn't feel distracted, but I guess she felt like just, you were so aware of what was happening around you that I need you to no longer have any distractions whatsoever. And so I went into the bathroom and my doula just stayed there, just like squeezing my hips and she was silent. And, uh, on that first contraction, my daughter dropped into the birth canal, like a sack of potatoes. I mean, it was just like, boom, like she just came down and, uh, my water broke at that point and I looked down and I immediately saw some meconium and I was like, well, great. Like, this is awesome. And so my midwife came in cause I went in there and I did that. And she was, she wasn't in there at that point. She was like prepping something outside in the bedroom and she came in and I was like, she just dropped in, or my baby just dropped into the birth canal. My water broke and there's a little bit of meconium. I'm like, it doesn't look too concerning to me, but you know, you look at it and she's like, yeah, that's definitely some, but not, you know, it's not like, you know, brown, brown, murky water. It was just like, you know, I don't know, a little yellow tinted. And she's like, well, since you're this far along, she's like, you can get back into the birth pool if that's where you want to deliver. It's totally up to you. And I was like, yeah, I would really like to deliver in there. And it's funny because I think that she thought that I wanted to be in there because of comfort or because of like the water. And the primary reason I wanted to be in there was because as a photographer, I wanted good pictures. And I knew that if we were in my bedroom, my best friend would have like three different angles to shoot from. And my bedroom is much bigger than my bathroom. And so I'm like, I need to have good pictures of this. Um, and so I got into the birth tub and I scooted all the way to the corner, just so that my best friend had as much room as possible to get any angle she wanted. And uh, it was, you know, a couple more pushes and she was out. And um, I just remember I was, I was, kind of like upward on my knees facing forward, but not on all fours. And I was able to reach down and grab her, which was something that I really wanted to do. And I pulled her up onto my chest and I just remember like looking down and seeing that she was a girl. And it was, it was the best, most redemptive experience of my life. Like I was so grateful. I mean, every, almost everything that I could have prayed for, um, happened in the post that I wrote, I talked about how like, just so many of my prayers were answered. I mean, I've always, I always wanted to deliver during a snowstorm because I love snow. And even though it was March 9th, which is, you know, kind of post winter season, um, there wasn't a blanket of snow, but right outside my bathroom window, which is where I labored most of the time, there was like the roof just had like the slightest blanket of snow on the roof. And so I could see it and it, it basically didn't it snow all winter. I think it only snowed twice that winter. And I just had, there was just like this little coating of snow out there. I really wanted to have like a short labor and from start to finish, like from that first gas pain to her being in my arms, it was seven hours. I mean, it was like, it was, I consider that fairly short. Um, my one best friend was there to document all of it, which was amazing. And my husband was able to be there. He, I mean, he held my hands while I was pushing and let me squeeze the life out of his hands. And, uh, he, like he, he did great. And, my other best friend literally came in like an hour and a half later. 
Like she was, she was landing pretty much as I was pushing. Yeah. It was just, I mean, it was the best experience of my life. I would do it again a hundred times over. I still hope to do it again. And I still tell my husband, I know you don't want any more, but I'm just telling you that like, I'm praying that we have another one. And so you tell me the second you're ready, there'll be no questioning from me. And that one will be born at home as well. Yeah. It was just the best, most redemptive experience of my life. And once again, like if you go to my Instagram and you watch it, I hopped on Instagram, like, I don't know, seven minutes after she was born. So like I got out of the tub and I was laying on the floor. I had a second degree tear because I had to push like so hard. And I think I could have avoided tearing if I was able to just like breathe her out, which I totally would have been able to because the fetal ejection reflex, like it was, it was really interesting because in between contractions, like I could totally feel how like I had the control to like push harder to just let my body do its thing. But because we were trying to get her out soon, um, I was pushing with every ounce of strength I had in me. Um, when I think otherwise I would have been able just to like breathe her out. So I did have a little bit of a second degree tear. And so I'm laying on the floor as my midwife is sewing me up and I'm on Instagram with my cheesy baby on my chest. And I'm like, guys, that was amazing. Like, I, I don't want to do that again tomorrow, but I would maybe do it again next week. That was so incredible. And yeah, oh my God, I, mean, I still have all these videos on Instagram and every now and then I like go through and watch them. And I'm like, wow, those like dopamine drugs that the oxytocin that rushes through your body is no joke because I look like I was high. And I'm talking like I was high, like who gets on that soon after and is like, that was amazing. Try this awesome. guys. I don't know. Like, yeah. But that's what Try people say. They, they chase that oxytocin high because that's the highest level that you will ever experience it at is right yeah. after birth like that. And so yep. that's, it doesn't surprise me that you were just on another level. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's my story. It was amazing. And like I said, I would do it again in a heartbeat. And I'm now more than ever, I'm just a massive advocate for home births. The, the experience that I had and the care that I received is what every woman deserves. And not just, you know, my prenatal care. I mentioned that, how amazing my midwife was, how confident and competent she was during labor. We later both, you know, we were kind of like debriefing and we kind of just both determined that I probably had a partial placental, like my placenta was probably starting to detach slowly. Um, but she had said, she was like, the baby's heart rate never changed. Like there was never concerns with heart rate. I could hear her heart the whole time she was doing great. And she's like, that's the reason why I like, we, why we didn't have to transfer to the hospital. And so I knew that if we can get the baby out, that it'd be totally fine. Cause we never lost her heart rate for a second just her competency and her confidence. And then afterwards, um, I had a difficult time nursing her as well. And on day five, my midwife came back and she sat with me for like two hours in bed and just until I was able to get her to latch well. And just with incredible care and she was just like the most caring human. Like she was like your favorite aunt. You know how like everybody's got that favorite aunt that's like, like that favorite aunt that's just like cool and comforting and incredible. That's how she was. Like, she was just so amazing. And I just wish that every woman could have that kind of care during their entry into motherhood. There are no other words to put on how important that is and how much that meant to me. It gets you off to such a better start in motherhood too. Whether it's your first baby, your second, your fifth, your 10th, 
it's still a transition that you have to go through after yeah. being pregnant, giving birth, and then this new transition into motherhood again. And so having someone that can walk with you and guide you and just be there to support you through that, I agree. That's 100% what women deserve to have. And it's a shame that that's not the norm. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any other things or just words of advice or wisdom from things that you learned along the way that you would want other women who are either contemplating having a home birth, they maybe just had a C-section, maybe they're even just pregnant for the first time, uh, just anything that you would want to pass on for them to know? Uh, I mean, how much more time do we have, right? Like I could talk for (laughs) another hour. I told you I'm long-winded. I mean, I guess if I were to condense it to a few pointers, I would say, number one, you have nothing to fear in birth. You truly have nothing to fear. Like do your research, watch the videos, become confident in your body, but you have nothing to fear would be my first thing. Second thing, advocate for yourself, whether that means that you choose to have a hospital delivery and you are, I mean, I've just met a lot of women too, that they're like, Oh, you know, I feel safer in a hospital, which I, I get that. Some people feel that way. That's totally fine. But they're like, yeah, my doctor said that, you know, they're fine. Like with my plan, but then like come the end, the doctor starts with like, your baby's getting a little bit big or your flute is low or might need to induce your 41 weeks. And I feel like women just don't know how to advocate for themselves. And they're so tired at that point. And especially with a VBAC, like there's VBAC tolerant and there's VBAC friendly. I'm sure you've seen that. I'm sure you've talked about it. Um, find someone who's truly VBAC friendly. Hi, come here. <laughs> Speaking of the child that Um, yeah. So just like advocate for yourself and know what your options are and become a birth expert. I mean, read the books, listen to the podcast, do your research, watch births online, like know what you're getting yourself into so that you know how to advocate for yourself. And then make sure that whoever your support person is, whether it's a husband or a partner or, um, a best friend or a doula that they know that as well. And they're on the same page because I also firmly believe that the woman needs to focus only on laboring. Like she should not be having to be like on the defense with doctors and educating doctors or like pushing them for what she wants during things. Like she needs to have someone who's a voice for her. That's confident in saying to the doctors, like, Hey, she doesn't want this. So like, we really need everybody, unless if it's medically necessary, could everybody just clear out of the room and turn the lights down? Like if there's not a medical reason or necessity for you to be here, um, we really just want her to be able to like have her space. It's one thing she really wanted. And I feel like most people don't have the confidence to speak up to the nurses and doctors like that. And that's where <laughs> I'm like a little bit of a bulldozer of a doula, which is partly why I don't really practice because it frustrates me every time. Cause I'm like, I should not have to tell them this. They should know this, that a woman laboring in a a room with dim lights without people talking loudly in the background, like that's just common sense. Mm -hmm. So why, why am I having to tell the medical professionals this? So yeah, advocate for yourself, do your research. (sighs) I don't know. And then just enjoy the ride. Like it's, it's seriously home birth is such a gift. It really is such a gift. And I just wish that less women would be afraid of it. And would be willing to see how incredible of an experience it could be when you're in the comfort of your own home and you birth your baby in your safest place. And then you get tucked into your own bed and you get somebody who makes you whatever the heck kind of meal you want. I mean, my midwife was like, what do you want us to make you? Like at that point, my other best friend had arrived. And so I had like three people down in the kitchen making me eggs and bacon and home fries and toast. 
just and while I was in my bed with my brand new baby. It was just the most incredible, luxurious experience. That's all I've got. Well, thank you so much just for being willing to share your stories and just everything that you've learned along the way. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Home Birth After Cesarean podcast. Make sure to subscribe, leave a rating, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. If you're interested in sharing your home birth after cesarean story, send us an email at hbacpodcast at gmail.com. See you next week.